It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. You're back. I am here. One week on, one week off. (laughs) We're just playing leapfrog with time away. The summer has been something. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, people are like, who's the host? I was like, how many shows have you and I done together in the last month? (laughs) We Uh, just pre-record each other going, that's a great point, Brian. That's a great point, Ian. uh, I don't think so. Nope, nope. (laughs) Disagree. Modest mouse. Modest uh, mouse. Anyway, that's Ian Simpkins here. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm excited to be back as as Ian was talking about there. I've been gone for the last couple days, and uh, I shared with you that over the weekend... We were back in your homeland, as you like to refer to it. My kids loved that you referred to Michigan, by the way, as America's high five. I like your kids more and more every day. I, I was like, guys, you got to hear this. They Like I showed them a picture of Michigan. They're like, that's hilarious. <laughs> I like that they have a low bar for hilarity, too. That's, that that's is, good. That always goes well for me. It is getting lower as I get older with my dad's <laughs> same, jokes. But, same. Uh, yeah, spent the weekend up in St. Joe's and South Haven at the beach. And I love the beach. I, I uh, I, I prefer the ocean, but man, if if the lake is what we can do, then then we will go do it. But a those, couple those lakes are pretty phenomenal beautiful. too. They're more than just like a little pond too. Beautiful, beautiful. So we enjoyed our time away, and uh, a little uh, end of the week was more staycationy. Like uh, yeah. We actually went to the beach down in Chicago, which I think is always fun. You're swimming and you look back and see the whole skyline, I which is so fun. Took my buddy, my boy, to a baseball game and. Uh, yeah, had a good time. I did try to talk him into one day driving three and a half hours to go see the Field of Dreams site, but I couldn't do it. No, he wasn't interested, huh? I think I could have done it. I think I had him, <laughs> but I was like three and a half both ways. Like I was really, <clears throat> I was both ways on that one. So, uh, good time. Thanks for covering. Uh, you're, you bring in the smartest people when I've got. <laughs> it's you, a little. You, you felt that way too, huh? It's a little bit intimidating. Like when I when you're gone, I bring in like Dan Ehrman and like other oh, college. Hey, that was Dan's on purpose. Smart. Okay, that was on All purpose. Right. I like you, Dan. Uh, but when you do, it's like I, I go and like I, I see the Facebook link of who you had. I'm like. Ooh, that person's smart. <laughs> uh, messianic Anglican priest, a marriage and family counselor, uh, entrepreneur. And I'm like, college roommate. World relief. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was actually telling somebody the other day that when, when you're gone, when I'm gone, you have this whole list of people. And then when you're gone, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go solo for a while. I'm just going to go to floor three and see who's around. Right? <laughs> who's on the elevator on the way up? <laughs> Want to do a radio show? Hey, Jim, the security guard. What's up? <laughs> But anyway, it's well, good. I, and I, I do have to say it too. The guests were so wonderful that I just felt like saying, "Okay, go and talk," and I'll tell you when to stop. <laughs> like I didn't even want to interject my voice just because I felt like they had so much, you're so much good stuff. To you're say. not even here anymore, right? Just, I didn't even need to be. It was so, so go. wonderful. So we're glad that you're here with us. It's good to be back together. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. And uh, online at 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you do your podcast. Also on Twitter now, thanks to John. That is true. Way to go, John. Follow us. Uh, what is it again on Twitter? The Common Good Radio Show? No, no. it's Common, Common Good Talk. Talk. That's right. I knew it wasn't something. Yeah. Common, Common Good, Good Talk. Talk. Yep. So uh, let's, uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter. That'll be fun as well. So uh, big right turn here. The, the, the news that dominated the weekend was this Jeffrey Epstein 
uh, suicide in prison, and it kind of alleged suicide. <laughs> alleged suicide. You were telling me some stories of deep dives in the internet that were scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will probably be popping up on the conspiracy theory podcast I listen to. I'm sure very soon. Probably already are. Yeah. Uh, but but Epstein, you know. Um, uh, well, anyway, let's be reminded of why Epstein was in prison. Listen to the U.S. attorney reading the charges against Epstein. The charges allege that Epstein sexually abused young girls by enticing them to engage in sex acts for money. And so it's a very dark story. But what makes the story more front page, if you will, uh, is Epstein, besides being a billionaire, he is so well connected to people. So depending on your side of the aisle, you like to point out that he was friends with Donald Trump or he was friends with the Clintons. Uh, lots of stories of Bill Clinton being really close with them on his jet. Uh, I think it's like the I'm going to get myself in trouble, but one of the royal family over in England, like is good friends of all these people. And so there's mm. why everyone's going conspiracy theory here is because it's like, well, who was he about to out? Uh, and so he's in prison and uh, at first it was believed he was on suicide's watch. So how, people are like, how did he die? On su- How did he commit suicide? But then it was came out yesterday or today that he wasn't on suicide watch. And um, it, what we can't forget is um, there are a lot of victims to this guy's um, just darkness. And so uh, one of the accusers, uh, Virginia Geoffrey, uh, listen to her. You're screaming on the inside and you don't know how to let it come out. And you just become this numb figure. It's so just a lot of darkness here. And let's listen to one more bite just to put a bow on it. Uh, the attorney for the accuser, she's Lisa Bloom. She said this. For all of the Epstein victims, it's going to take a long time to really get their minds around this. Let's get to the bottom of this. You have nothing to fear anymore because Jeffrey Epstein is gone. And so I've been trying to wrap my mind. I watched a Today Show this morning, and obviously this was leading it. But I don't know what else to say about the story except to say it's such a dark story. Like yeah, I read yeah. this story and I go, it's another one where I'm like losing all faith in humanity. And maybe I shouldn't have faith in humanity, but it just feels so dark. And people are trying to make political points about it. But like at the essence, there's there's just wreckage all over the place. And it's just another sign, I think, of... Of the darkness that surrounds us. Yeah, and I think even the fact that all these theories now are kind of bubbling to the surface makes the story more complicated. But like you were saying before we went, we went live, I think the to talk about just some of the, the horrific darkness surrounding yep. his criminal activity, and I think about some of the friends of ours like Simone Halpin who are doing incredible work in the world to combat sex trafficking, it does sort of... And I think maybe a helpful way jar me out of my autopilot way of functioning. Like, oh, yeah, this this is something that like this is a story. Honestly, unfortunately, we'll forget in three weeks. Yep. Like something else. Horrible. Unless something else about it. That's what I'm saying. Out, like, but yeah. it, uh, even that really breaks my heart as I do yep. like just a cursory look at some of the stats and some of the the alleged people involved. Then you think about, all right, so how much secrecy and how much abuse of power and how much exploitation and how, and so we know at some level this is happening. And I, I'm wondering, like, do you think it's just to preserve our own brain sanity that we like, don't allow ourselves to live there very long? Like we, we now see more and more that these things are happening, not by like dark alley people, but like the people in the highest seats of power, like, does it, does it concern us that we just move on from that? Like, well, I guess that's just the way 
money and power works. Yeah. Like, do we, you know what I mean? Like, is that a coping mechanism for us, or or is there something else that we need to actually lament there? Or like, how do you reconcile having to stare this kind of darkness right in the face and then say, "All right, well, I guess I gotta go to lunch now." Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like, how do you how do you live in both worlds? I don't know. And, and you bring up a great question. It feels like every time we do these tragic stories, we kind of come back to this. Like, why do we move on to the next thing, even beyond that? Like. Not beyond that, but like we were talking before about how there's all these funny memes going around right now about Epstein and the Clintons and others. And you're like, wow, like such a dark story. And we've already moved to funny memes and yeah, <laughs> right. Inst- instantly, and then, right. And you're like, I get it. Like anytime the Clintons are involved or Donald Trump, people go there. But like it, it gets back to what you're saying, like. This story, it, you're probably aware of it, people, but it's as dark a story as there is. Yep. Like, we're talking underage girls and power and money. And the fact that it's been kind of relegated already to Facebook memes and right. stuff is, is really, like you said, telling about our culture. Yeah, that's a good. I don't know what to do with what you just either. said, but I, I think you're right. Well, uh, we wanted to start with that because it's such a heavy story, but it's also at the be- at the uh, forefront of the news right now. So we would love to hear back from you a little bit on that. You can do so at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, coming up next, Christianity Today uh, posted a timely article titled this, Preaching Against Racism is Not a Distraction from the Gospel. Ooh. As two pastors, we are going to wrestle with this coming up next here on the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Back to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. Uh, Christianity Today, they constantly, constantly, they regularly post articles that not only do we pull from, but one thing I appreciate about Christianity Today is they kind of go across the board. Sometimes we read things and we're like, wow, that's really conservative or really this, and other times the other way. Uh, and, and they they jumped into the deep end uh, this week was something I think, especially you and I as pastors, but I think all Christians in our culture right now need to be wrestling with. Uh, and that is the issue of what is the church to do uh, with, uh, with speaking uh, towards um, racism, speaking against racism, I should say, would be a better way of putting it, uh, having that conversation. What do we as pastors from the pulpit, what is our responsibility, but also what is the responsibility of the church to just be um, having the conversation and talking about it and um, and acknowledging it as an issue within our culture? So with that in mind, Christianity, Christian, I did it again. <laughs> He's back. I've been good. Usually Christianity Today, uh, Esau McCauley uh, wrote an article entitled Preaching Against Racism is Not a Distraction from the gospel. And Esau McCauley is an assistant professor of New Testament at Wheaton College and also serves as a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. Uh, and and so he's got kind of a foot in academia and a foot in the church. And so um, a, a really, I almost said hot button topic, but I don't mean it to sound flippant like that. Like this is a front burner topic, I think, for all churches to wrestle with right now. The topic of are we going to even talk about racism, let alone preach about it. So uh, with that as a setup, why don't you give us some of your thoughts? Okay, so I, I think he, I've never actually really read any of his writing before in this article. If you have not yet, uh, go read it. You can find it on ChristianityToday.com. We post it on the Facebook page. I'm going to read some comments in a little bit. But he said, pastors who have spent time milling around at coffee hour or listening to unguarded small talk 
know the political opinions of their congregants. They know exactly who will be upset over any mention of race. In response, some choose silence for the sake of unity, which I do want to give credit, I guess, where credit is due. I, I understand that sentiment. I totally understand Silence for the sake of unity is something I think anyone in leadership has felt. Uh, other pastors are silent, not out of fear, but out of conviction. They believe it's the church's job to preach the gospel, and by that they mean the plan of salvation, and anything beyond that is a political distraction. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that. And you and I, I think since the beginning of this show, have weighed through what is or isn't appropriate use of the pulpit. That yeah. is something, not to oversell this or overstate this, we feel the weight of that, I think, tremendously. Absolutely. And I, and I do want to kind of give props, I guess, to local leaders and local pastors and local preachers who are really legitimately grappling with how, how do I... How do I serve this position well? How do I honor God and honor our church well? Yes. And I'm not saying everyone really considers that, but I think more people than maybe what others would guess are really grappling with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he goes on, he says, in other words, it's not enough for a pastor to preach doctrines without applying those doctrines to the issues of the day. In Pennington's time, the question was slavery. It was a widespread evil written into law that informed public practice from one end of this country to the other. Eventually, every pastor had to make his feeling on the subject known. Being silent was an implicit vote for the status quo. Today, there are a host of issues clamoring for the attention of this generation. If a pastor commented on every single event, little else would be done on Sunday. That's a great point. Although the news cycle shouldn't overcome the liturgical cycle of the church, nonetheless, our people need theological resources to think through these issues. Both majority white and majority black and brown churches need to know in no uncertain terms where the church stands on racism and white supremacy. And majority white churches need opportunities to discuss and repent of the myths they might harbor about black and brown people. Mm. That I want to read that paragraph like each and every day as I think about our role and our leadership, because that's, I think it's so well said and so succinct, but also pretty humble in its approach. And I think, I I don't know where you land on all of this, but I'd be curious to know, do you agree? Do you disagree? Are you somewhere in the middle? Like where where are you at with this? So the line you already read, but let me read it again, because it's the one I underlined where it says they believe it's the church's job to preach the gospel. And by that, they mean the plan of salvation and anything beyond that is a political distraction. Yeah. I would say that's been, that is a good description of how I normally approach things. Interesting. And I, I've often wondered if that's out of conviction or out of fear, mm. <laughs> but it, I'm not political. We're, you know, we're going to stay down the on this, but it, instead it, it really goes back to the first thing you read where, uh, where we kind of count the cost going, okay, if I say this, I know I'm going to get emails. I know I'm going to get this. Uh, I've gotten emails in the last month, uh, from people in my church on both sides of the aisles, un, un, um, not excited about various things that I've said, who've read it through their own lens. And right. eventually, I think what th- this isn't like a woe is me for a pastor, but eventually you're just like, I don't want to have to put up with it anymore. And mm. so I'm going to take this. Whereas he's going, no, now's the time to yes, be bold. That's right. Now's the time to be truthful. Now's the time to push back. And so, like you said, fabulous writer. And when I read this, I am convicted. I am convicted because usually. I'm more the pastor just laying my cards on the table, whether it's out of principle or out of fear, who tries to avoid the minds in the minefield for right. the sake of unity. Right. And, uh, and that, which is also appropriate. It is, but not always appropriate. Right. And I think when that's your overarching, this is how I'm going to attack it all the time, yeah. that you're going to miss some opportunities that we as pastors and as churches are probably called to attack or to at least confront. That's right. I, I want to read a, a comment from my buddy, Michael Wilkerson, who he and I are actually in seminary together. He 
mm-hmm. uh, is a white pastor who leads a really intentionally multi-ethnic, multicultural church in Memphis. Memphis. And uh, we're, we'll, we're often posting articles on the Facebook page. And so we would really welcome you to comment or weigh in because this stuff is really helpful for us. So he said, not only is preaching about racism not ignoring the gospel, it's essential to the gospel. To ignore this topic is to ignore the gospel in many facets. We would never think of ignoring justification, salvation, repentance, holiness, or transformation. So why would we ignore reconciliation? The gospel is not a buffet where we get to pick the dishes that fit according to our like. We must accept the whole of the gospel and our part in it or our ignorance to it. When we realize that we are guilty or complicit, then we must return to the practice of repentance. Then we stop talking about the gospel and start living it out for the gospel was not meant to be a discussion, but the source of life. And I thought mm. that I mean, I'm going to ask him, did you just take that from a sermon? Cause that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's, it preaches. I don't, I don't comment that smart sounding. And I just, I was really helpful. I, I just think that's a great position. And my friend Joe Cronin said, if we don't preach against racism, we're ignoring love thy neighbor. I thought mm. that's a good perspective. That's, that's, well that's really succinct. So this guy, I don't know if we have time for this. He issues kind of three challenges yeah, to pastors. Can you, can you summarize them? Do you know what they are? So he just kind of tries to get really practical. And he says, do a rough audit first of your sermons over the last few years and ask yourself, how often have you discussed this issue in depth? Mm. And, uh, and then he says, second, uh, provide maybe a brief announcement in the service and take the recent events in El Paso as an example, before you start a sermon weave it in and talk about like, mm. so it's not part of the sermon, but like, Hey, I just want to acknowledge yeah. what happened here. And then the third level, and this is the deepest one he says involves making substantial changes to the service to create opportunities for prayer, confession and lamentation. So really he talks about changing the entire way, maybe your whole mm. liturgy of the way you do church. Uh, and that's where, you know, <laughs> that's where it starts to get, um, it starts to get real. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I love what he says here at the end. All of us are called to embody the love of Christ, which is not bound by race, gender, or class. What I want then is to see the church become the family that Paul describes when he says that we should carry one another's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. The burden of deconstructing racism, white supremacy should not be the sole province of black and brown Christians. It should belong to the whole family of God, which is comprised of people who believe the same scriptures, confess the same creeds and share in the common bread and the common cup. That's really good. And uh, so I think we need to be, uh, our churches need to be, especially in this day and age, a place where people are out of the phrase you like to use out of their echo chambers and having a conversation, right? I know some some people that I have high respect for who are like, no, we talk about racism too much. Well, let's have that cut. Why do you feel that way? Give opportunities for conversations like that. Uh, this was a this was a challenging read, and I'd encourage you to read it. As we've been saying, it's at our Facebook page at the Common Good Radio Show. Well, uh, appropriately so, we are going to jump into our regular Monday segment next. Of what did we preach on? What did we do? And uh, coming off a, a an article about preaching, uh, this could be interesting. So we'll talk, talk about that here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. As always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Now you can find us on Twitter. Let's see if I can get this right. The Common Good Talk? Just Common Good Talk. Oh, no, the. I'm going to get it, guys. I'm going to get it one we of these We believe in you, Brian, from. Common Good Talk. Whoever's got the Common Good Talk or whatever, they're going to get lots of followers now. I think that's too many letters. <laughs> I think that was it. You couldn't. You can't, you can't make the handle endlessly okay. long, I guess. I'm going to. I'm showing my age. Like, what's this Twitter <laughs> thing? 
Common Good Talk. You can find us on Twitter. It's for uh, the birds. You can also find our old shows at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you want. You know, once you get you past want. those first two, you get really into troubled water. It's, <laughs> just get confidence with the first two, then it's like mm, maybe live journal. I don't, <laughs> no, Brian, possibly, <laughs> possibly one of these. Well, every Monday uh, we always talk about what we preached yesterday. As two pastors, that's our day job. We like to say that's our main job. That we uh, Mondays can be an interesting day. We're a little tired. A little loopy, although I'm coming off a of vacation, so I'm feeling really good right oh, look now. Look at you. And uh, not only did I not <laughs> preach yesterday, I didn't even go to church yesterday. And so there, as an aside, but we, you, we are the church, Brian. Good point. You don't good go point. to church. Good you point. are the church. Oh, boom. Roasted. <laughs> did you, uh, when you go on vacation, do you usually, I'll use the phrase again, do you go to church? Do you and your wife go, like if you're in a random city, so you're not like back in your hometown going to your home church, you're... You know, the Simpkins are away on a family vacation. Do you are you one of those guys who no matter what Sunday, me and my family were getting up and going to church or not? This is a very convicting question for a couple of reasons. I'm trying to remember the last time one I was actually gone over a weekend. That's not great. (laughs) Not Uh, good at all. Katie, please forgive me. We need I need to do better. Um, A lot of times if I'm not here on a weekend, I'm uh, with my family in Detroit and I do like to go to yes. church with them because that's the church I was raised in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of that's like, oh, I want to see all these people and that's a great opportunity to do it. Yep. But I also, I mean, it's different with little kids now, but left to my own devices, I am endlessly fascinated by what other churches in other regions are doing. So like when we were out in Denver, we went to Red Rocks Church. We went to uh, my friend's church, Scum of the Earth. Um, so I, I'm really curious yeah. by how these different... So I, for me... Maybe that's not the best motivation. I'm just really interested in how other churches do it yeah. and and what we you know we can learn and kind of observe and absorb. And so I do tend to try to. I'm trying to. I can't remember the last time we were like. <laughs> so the issue out for of you is you don't go out of town. Yeah, right. That's I need to get better at that for sure. I uh, when uh, you know when I take off on a Sunday and we we go somewhere. I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, make a confession here. We never go to church. I mean, I respect that, but I've I've got some pastor buddies who have challenged me on it, and I'm like, nope, I think you're wrong. In there, <laughs> I've got some pastor friends who are like, no matter what, no matter where they are, when doesn't matter, they go because they said, if we hold that same expectation for our people, I'm like, I'm not sure I hold that same expectation yeah, right. for our people. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. I don't. You probably would never hold that for other people. I don't, and I'm you're not consistent. Saying, at least I give you I that. Am. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but we don't ever. Uh, we don't. Last year on sabbatical, I had all those weeks off, and I uh, I went to your church once, and, then I was and like, hated it. He's <laughs> like, boy, that guy yeah, is a real joke. It. That was it. So I didn't preach yesterday. So we and, do a whole segment of just me talking about what I preached. Well, we just talked about that I don't go to church oh, for a that's while. True. We filled we just, half the time we doing just, that. We just talked about I just confessed my sin of non-church <laughs> attendance when not preaching. You are absolved, my son. <laughs> Decided. Uh, but I'm assuming you did preach yesterday. Where'd you preach? And and uh, and what did you preach about? I preached under a bridge. <laughs> nope. No, you didn't. <laughs> you, nope. I mean, you I might have also done that. Uh, so, no, yeah, I was preaching at the Yellow Box. And I think I had mentioned last week we're starting a series called How to Bless Your Neighbor. And Dave and John Ferguson developed a, an acronym called the BLESS Practices, B-L-E-S-S, which mm-hmm. is begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, story. So yesterday was the first letter, the B, the begin with prayer which is a topic I have such a strange relationship with this conversation because 
I love talking about prayer and I really struggle with mm. being a consistent, disciplined prayer. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. just owned up to that. I was like, Hey, before we go any further, let me just, so let me just be clear. I did. I'm not standing on a stage as an expert or someone who's arrived. Um, and I was talking about some of the ways that we kind of struggle. I said, for a lot of us, I think prayer is like flossing. <laughs> like we know we're supposed to. Oh, wow. That's good. But we just don't. And, you know, everyone's gotten that look from their dentist like, hey, have you been flossing? And I was like, we both know I've not been flossing. <laughs> Let's not play this game. You're I know you, you know. can tell. I know <laughs> you're looking at the evidence right now. Please, please don't do that. So I talked to you been flossing. Do I look like yeah, I've been right. flossing? I think I said I've been flossing about the same amount as last time we met. So <laughs> so no, I've not been flossing. So I talked about some of the reasons we don't pray and kind of spent some time there. And I talked about in Jesus's ministry and you know, he prayed at his baptism. He prayed before performing miracles. He would regularly withdraw from crowds and pray, he prayed for his friends that they'd stay strong. He's even praying like before his arrest. And then later he's praying like as he's being crucified, Yep, father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. And I thought, how convicting is that? One of the challenges I gave actually was think of somebody that you maybe would classify as your enemy. Maybe not enemy, mm-hmm. but someone that really drives you crazy. Pray for them. Mm-hmm. The same stuff that you pray for yourself. Yeah. Like think through what you want for your kids or your career or your life. Start praying them for the person that drives you crazy and see if your heart doesn't change a little bit, which has always been challenging to me. But the verse that we kind of honed in on might surprise you because it's in Luke, Luke six. He says, one of those days she just went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying. And when he came back, he called his disciples and kind of gives the list of them. And I thought, what an interesting thing that before choosing the 12 that he would entrust this mission to, he like pulled an all nighter. Mm. Like it was there that he got clarity about, okay, there's a lot of people probably clamoring for that position. He had a lot of candidates. Mm. He needed clarity for how to move forward. Yeah. And if Jesus himself needed that time, like why would we think that we could get away with not and still wanting God's clarity in our life, still wanting direction. And the people that he chooses, by the way, are super surprising. And so we go, we just went on to kind of challenge people to like make it a priority to carve out time. There's this, uh, this British missionary to China that I read this quote 15 years ago. It changed my life. He said, don't have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. Hmm. And that imagery of like tuning our instrument to like joining God's song in a world that you and I both really know is broken and beaten up. I've been really, really challenged by that. And I don't always do it well, but I, I ended with this story and I don't know if you've heard it or not. Um, Beth Moore shared on her blog a couple of years ago, I think, and it was her at an airport. And she was praying and she had her Bible open. And she noticed this old man slumped over in a wheelchair, uh, like really thin, long, tangled hair. And she like couldn't stop staring at him. And she felt this nudge, this familiar nudge. And she was like, no, God, please don't make me go witness to him. Mm. And she said, clear as day. God said, oh, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. And so describes like this awkward exchange, walks over and says, sir, so strange can I brush your hair? And he, of course, is like, little lady, you have to talk a lot louder than that if you want me to hear you. So she shouts, sir, can I brush your hair? And now everyone's looking at him. And he, like, somehow had a hairbrush on him. So she just begins brushing. And then she just talks about the love that overcame her as she's brushing this guy's hair. And then when she was done, like, knelt down and said, sir, do you know my Jesus? And he said something like, I've known him since I met my bride. In fact, I just had open heart surgery and I haven't seen my bride in months and she was too ill to see me. And I was just sitting here thinking, what a sad mess I am to go finally see my bride again. Mm. And you have blessed me so tremendously. Thank you for brushing my oh hair. Oh my gosh. And like, so I'm like crying and everyone's crying, but it was just this idea of like, what would happen 
if we actually open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit for the people yes. and places, say, all right, God, I'm tuning my instrument. Whatever it is you have for me today, that's what I want to be about. And uh, it was just a good, it was a good challenge for me personally, to be yeah. honest, to make that a better priority and to not just pray before meals or pray yeah. before national tragedies, but to really say, all right, all right, God, where, where do you want to lead us today? What a powerful story. You, you do bring up a great point. Just about every Christian I know says, oh, what do you struggle with? I struggle praying. Yeah, right. There's something right. to that. There's something to that. That's powerful. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're able to share that with us. So, well, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, the concept of something we talk about a lot here, community. And this headline, Christians are conflicted on whether they need other believers to develop their faith, a recent survey found. We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you have a case of the Mondays, we're here for you, right? Okay, no, don't do that. Yeah, case of the Mondays. Uh, have you ever seen Office Space? I actually have not. What? I know. I love The Office. I love other no, 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 no. No, no, I know they're totally different. You're both shaking our producer and you're shaking your head. John, I'm not, you, I'm not equating the two. I'm just admitting I've uh, never seen Office Space. John, have you seen Office Space? Yeah, one time. Okay. That's better than none times. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, I feel uh, compelled to shake my head because I'm like, oh, I've actually seen that one. <laughs> Is it's... that where the saying a case of the Mondays comes from? No, but there's a whole like move in reference to it in the movie. That I get myself in trouble for? <laughs> no, I don't think. I can't. And again, I obviously can't formally recommend this movie at all, uh, but it's hilarious, and I hope that you watch it one day and think of me. I'm going to read it, and I'm not reading. I will watch it. Yeah, it's not a book adaptation. And then I will come back, and we will we will discuss it. Let's do. It. I would dedicate a whole segment to Office Space tomorrow. Let's really? do it. Well, I'm not going to watch it tonight. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, can my kids be in the room when I'm watching? No, this? they cannot. None of them. No. Okay. Can my wife be in the room? <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> My type of movie. Here we go. Honey, I'm so sorry. Ian is giving me a movie assignment, and, and uh, I'll see you in the morning. Me, he told me it's inappropriate for you also. <laughs> it's inappropriate for all of us is my point. That's, that's what you. I'm saying. We I shouldn't be you. in the room, but it's it's funny. Inappropriate movies from Ian and Brian. Here we go. That's what we're going to do <laughs> for next segment. <laughs> that's a great question. Media Mondays. Come on. Oh, man. At ChristianHeadlines.com, we read this article. Christians are conflicted on whether they need other believers to develop their faith, a new survey found. And so a lot of good stats in here. So let me read it, and then okay. you kind of uh, give us your uh, your initial reaction to it. A LifeWay research survey revealed conflicting views on whether Christians believe they need community for their faith. Oh, gosh. According to the I'm study sorry. Sorry. <laughs> from the Center for Church Revitalization at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, 65% of respondents who attend Protestant or non-denominational churches at least once a month said that they can have a relationship with God without other believers. However, the survey also found that 75% said that they need other believers for their faith. Hmm. I believe this is primarily a discipleship issue, said the center's Kenneth Priest. Awesome name for somebody running stuff like this. Yeah, no kidding. Adding that there is a, quote, spiritual apathy in the church because of a lack of pastors and spiritual leaders equipped to effectively preach and teach a text-driven life application of God's word. That is a loaded statement. (laughs) The needing, uh, yet not needing responses demonstrate an internal turmoil of individuals desiring community, but not seeing the church as the place to have those needs met. Scott McConnell of LifeWay Research believes that Christians do need each other. 
Uh, Solo Christianity is an inward desire to seek after spiritual matters without the realization biblical community is what will fulfill the desire they are seeking. Among other results of the survey, 41% of those attending a Southern church said they strongly agreed they needed other believers in their lives compared to 35% in the Midwest and 33% in the Northeast. Churchgoers from ages 18 to 34 are more likely to strongly agree that they need other Hmm. believers than churchgoers 65 and older. And 38% of women are more likely to strongly agree in having a community of believers than men were likely to agree. Hmm. There is a 5% difference. So it's lots of stats, uh, <laughs> lots of talking about what these mean. Um, what was your takeaway from this study? All right, so I want to do something interesting. Often when I'm hearing you read these things, I'm like frantically trying to research. Yep. Or find. I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to, if that's Go okay. Um, on one hand, I actually really do understand what some people may be feeling about, oh, I know that I need community. I just don't see the church as the mm. place where that's fulfilled. I also think uh, churches, church leaders, we should be challenged by these stats uh, because so often I think we make Sunday attendance the highest aim of what we talk about when we mean community, mm. which is, I think, uh, underselling the entire idea of communitas through and through. Uh, and oftentimes that's very financially motivated, that's numbers sure. motivated, all of these things are good things. But I do want to say, oh, I totally get it. If yep. if people if part of what this article is saying is, yeah, I don't actually find the nine thirty to ten thirty on a Sunday morning fulfilling mm-hmm. what it is that I, I know that like deep in my soul I'm desiring. On the other hand, um I don't think scripture anywhere speaks of a solitary religion Mm-mm. at at all. When we talk about Trinitarian theology, for example, that God himself is community. Why would we think that we could intimately know the God of community outside of community? Hmm. This is why I think the incarnation matters. This is why I think good Eucharistic theology matters. When we talk about meeting Jesus together at the table, um, Hmm. when we don't talk about those things, I think sometimes preachers and pastors, we perpetuate individualized theology without even knowing it. Mm. This is where it gets tricky for us because I think so often, well, yeah, we want people to attend and then people sort of like, well, of course you want us to attend. You're the pastor. And we don't realize the types of ways we perpetuate solo theology, solo doctrine uh, in the ways that we speak or don't speak about what it means to live the Christian faith. And I think that that's where it gets tricky for people where they're almost getting mixed messages. And it seems like this article is sort of affirming that. Yeah. They're saying, well, we we think we believe it, but not going to find it there. What are some of those changes you think, um, I'm not going to say your church needs to make or my church, but just yeah. Christ- American evangelicalism as a whole. Uh, what are some changes, some tweaks we can make for people to go, okay, yeah, no, I am getting that community here. This is this is a spot uh, to get what I need here, which doesn't seem to be the message people are getting now. Yeah, my brain goes a couple of places. One, I think in our preaching, we need to always be mindful of the like me versus we language. I think language matters. Words create worlds, like how we actually talk about Oh, me and my individual personal relationship yep. with Jesus, which yep. is a phrase, an idea that isn't anywhere in the New Testament at all. Anyway, uh, I think that re- is really important. One of the things that I really appreciate about community in the yellow box specifically is there's three people on our small groups team. Like we just put a lot of eggs in that basket. That's like good. if it's about if we're going to keep saying, oh, connection, small groups, circles, right? Circles are better than rows. That's where life change happens. If we believe that then we have to resource it. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, Sue and Sherry and John are br- brilliant. Amanda, Amanda, there's four people now actually that are overseeing that and they just bleed it. Like they're so mm. passionate about it. 
and they spend they're so intent on making sure people know it's a priority and yeah. removing hurdles from anyone not being a part of that. So I, that feels a little simplistic, but like making it a priority, maybe even pastor, whatever you're at and whatever size church, whatever context, ask yourself, how much time am I even dedicating to make this a priority for my people? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we spend, you know, 35 hours working on a sermon, but no time developing small groups, small group leaders or small group vision. Yeah. And yet we keep telling people community matters, but our, our week doesn't really seem to point to that, you know? Yeah. Now I'm feeling convicted. <laughs> No. But I'm not saying everyone has to do it that way. Because it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to. Our, yeah. How we do, we call them community groups at our church and how we do them and and even, you know, what role they play. Uh, speak to the person out there who doesn't think they need others in order to grow in their faith. You touched on it, but this survey clearly shows, especially the stream we, we swim in, non-denominational Protestant right. churches. Uh, there are people, especially a little bit older demographic, who are like, no, I I don't need other people. Other people annoy me. and, <laughs> and but, Which I totally understand. Totally, I think a lot totally. of people have been burned. I'll even say this. I think people have walked away from churches and small groups for good reason. Yeah. I think sometimes people are kind of baffled that I would say that or believe that. I totally get it. Yeah. I just think relationships matter. We see the entire arc from Genesis to Revelation that we're we're meant to be together them. God looks at Adam and sees him alone. It's the first time he says, well, that's that's not good. Yeah. That's, not, that's not right. So I think we have to make that a priority to do the hard work and to even try again and again and again, even if we've been burned in the past, yeah. to make real community, not just superficial community, a priority in our lives. Oh, that's well put, man. That's well put. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Going to attempt to get this right. Twitter, Common Good Talk. Oh, we're going to get that. We're going to get that. Common Good Talk. I mean, we already got it. I think you're... <laughs> <laughs> Two things I have to work on. Common Good Talk and saying Christianity Today ten times without messing it up. I believe you. I think you were at ten times. Oh, this is where you flip it back to zero. Like it's I been, go back it's been zero days since Brian said this. In the right. first hour, I, I butchered it again. So uh, you It can... is legitimately difficult, though. I will it give is. you that. I never thought of it as difficult having to say it over and over again. It just <laughs> runs all together. Uh, and you can find podcasts wherever it is you find your podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. We are grateful. We think it helps us somehow. We're not sure, but we are grateful for those of you who listen uh, in that way. Uh, well, there was uh, th- something strange going on that I wanted to talk to you about. Seems to be uh, people, prominent uh, Christians, uh uh, throwing their faith aside, I don't know how else to put it, kind of denying their faith online, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Sure. So Joshua Harris, right over the past month, uh, kind of those multiple Instagram posts where it was like, oh, he's getting divorced. No, wait, he's no longer believes any of this. And kind of the the wrestling that went on with, what do you do with somebody who is a prominent author, speaker, pastor, 
now saying, oh, by the oh, oh, now I don't believe any of this and being very public about it, being mm. very out there about it. He had another follow up post from a, a gay pride parade like he's he's trying to um, continue to be uh, in the middle of this conversation. Uh, and now over the weekend, a person by the name of Marty Simpson, and you might not know who Marty Simpson is, except by this. Marty Simpson uh, is a prolific worship music writer. Uh, co-writing or writing many of the songs for Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United, Delirious, and Young and Free. Uh, He started leading worship with Hillsong in the late 1990s, though it says here it's been years since he has written music for them. So Marty uh, Sampson uh, went on to his Instagram and he wrote this. Uh, Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me like what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now. So at peace with the world, it's crazy. This is a soapbox moment. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradiction? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all cause they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, just not one version of God. God's so, got so much more to say, but for me, I, I am keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life. For others, uh, and so I read this this weekend as it was going around, and it just it made me sad uh, for just this. I don't know. I had lots of emotions. One of which is like, man, what's going on that these are like this is like the new thing keeps coming out. And so thought I would read that and throw it out there. What did you think as you read that? Well, I want to I want to read my buddy Matt's response to it. He's a, a buddy of mine that we went to Judson University together. Uh, we were in a small group together. He's a, a worship pastor, and I think just a just a good guy, good heart. Um, I'm curious to know in response to that because I think you saw this story before I did, mm-hmm. and this is his uh, response to that just a little earlier today. He said, um, so he posted the same article. He said, "This makes me genuinely sad when I see something like this. Not sad that Marty is quote leaving the faith, but that perhaps." He was never given an opportunity inside a community of faith where he was allowed to ask questions and doubt out loud and know that he was safe to do so. It seems that many get to the point where they don't have the ability to actually ask hard questions out loud for fear they will be judged and asked not to be in leadership anymore. There's an epidemic happening where leaders within the church and not just American church, though, uh, though that seems to be where a lot of this comes from, are stepping away and, quote, losing their faith mm. while asking questions and changing their minds from the fundamental faith that they were raised on. While we shouldn't idolize and make celebrities out of pastors and songwriters like Marty, he is just one of thousands more who are dealing with the very same things he talks about in here. The church should be the safest place to question doctrine, doubt out loud, and wrestle with the false certainty that seems to accompany being a follower of Christ. There shouldn't be anything inside the Christian faith that we can't ask questions about, pick up and examine and thoroughly discuss, even mm. if we reach different conclusions. The fact that Marty feels he needs to abandon Christian faith is an indictment on the church, not on him. 
May we have wider tables and not higher fences in our communities. May we never stop asking questions and never lose the wonder that goes along with being the church, the actual body of Jesus here on earth now. May we never forget that we too once were asking questions and genuinely curious about the world around us. Powerful. What do you think of that? What is, is this a, a posture position that you feel like you're in line with or the things about Matt's response that you disagree with or where, where do you, where's your heart and head with that? Uh, I think, I think uh, your friend there has a lot right there. I think um, that we don't, in churches all too often don't give people the opportunity to ask their hard questions and to doubt and to say, you know, we have this idol of certainty that says, Oh, everything makes sense. Everything we've got it all figured out, which has never been the, that's never been the point. Right. And when you, when it comes to a staff level position, well, then your, your, your job is on the line, right? If you or I go to our elders or stand up on a Sunday morning, like I'm really wrestling with, do I believe this? Then our leaders rightfully should ask, I think we probably need right. to remove you. And so when that becomes, and then when you get, I, I do think that this is showing the, the dark underbelly of like the Christian uh, celebrity culture too, where like you take it to the next level where you're like being admired for your faith and your writings and your songs. That's right. That, that you can't wrestle with these things. And so um, I, I would, I, I think your friend, uh, when I read that, when you were reading, I was like, yes, that is true. That is true. And so we need cultures within our churches where people can ask these questions, right? And not the, just can ask them, but are safe to ask them. Yes. I think a lot of people have asked them and then been asked to leave. That's and fair. that's where I think he's getting at. And the phrase he keeps using that I love is to doubt out loud. Yep. I think plenty of people doubt yep. in silence. Do we actually, and I think this is the dichotomy because in a lot of ways, leaders go first, right? So if we're saying, hey, this is a safe place to doubt, to push back, but we're not actually seeing that modeled by our leadership. Mm-hmm. What message does that send to the people who are actually really wrestling? We talked about this a week or two ago, yeah. right? Where Tim Keller talks about doubts as yes. like antibodies, like, you know, Frederick Beekner calls them the ants in the pants of faith. It keeps it alive and moving. And yet we treat it like it's a bug, not a feature. I think doubt in the context of faithful, loving, accepting yes. community actually can deepen our faith. It can help the roots go down deeper. But when we run from it, we hide from it or, Maybe even worse, we just don't make time for it. Yeah. I th- what what other conclusion could a hearing ear come to other than, oh, this isn't a safe place for me to wrestle? Yep. And I get that your point. It is different when you're talking about leadership, but I don't know that it should be as different as it currently is. Correct. I'm with and, you. And I think that for Matt, I love Matt's heart because this is someone who's a practitioner. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's leading a church in, in Fort Wayne. And so he... Um, He's boots on the ground. He's not yeah. just theorizing in an ivory tower somewhere. Uh, and I would love to. Maybe we'll get him on the show sometime to like really talk through. All right. So he leads a band. You know, how mm-hmm. do you what do you say if your piano plays like, hey, I don't know that I buy any of this anymore, but I'd love to keep playing. Yep. Or like where how do we grapple with some of those struggles that I think are more common than we realize? And if people aren't feeling safe to actually express them. Does that lead to a helpful conclusion? I don't, I don't know that it does. That's good. I, I think in the church, I think we have to wrestle with the idol of certainty. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we must, we can never say that we're struggling with anything or we don't understand something like there's that. That's not ever been the point, but somehow we've made that the point. And yeah, Pete ends his sin of certainty actually is a great read in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, if some people are like, oh, that's, that's kind of out there. You're like, no, Tim Keller said it. So I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. He, he feels safety. Can I just read something that I yeah, saw recently ahead. just to wrap us up? Derek yep. Webb, who, uh, who in a lot of ways, I think maybe famously 
um, what, what did you say? Walked away from the faith yep. was yep. A, a prominent Christian songwriter leader. That's right. He tweeted just a day or two ago. He said, dear Christian friends, it's disheartening watching you try to shame, provoke and persuade non-Christians back into belief. Your own religion is clear that salvation is the work of the spirit. Start to finish. Maybe put your faith in that and try simply listening and loving. Mm. And I was pretty challenged by that. I think that's that that's, there's probably a whole lot more we could say to that, but that, that feels like a good starting point. Yeah, that's really good. There's more to say about, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is this increase of, of wrestling or even discarding your faith on Instagram <laughs> or this, that's something to be said about our culture yeah, and even point. the celebrity culture. But, uh, we would love your feedback on this, this whole, this whole idea of certainty and doubt. And, and is the church even a safe place for people to wrestle? You can do that at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to talk uh, about this sobering statistic that of the 27 deadliest mass shooters, 26 of them have had one thing in common. I think you're all going to be surprised by that one thing that's coming up next here. On the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can continue the conversation at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, Find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're grateful uh, for all of you who follow, who listen, who podcast. It's fun to get to know you more. Um, through those various venues. So one of the things we've been talking about a lot because our country has been talking about a lot are all of these mass shootings. And even as you and I were preparing to discuss this, we realized the article we're about to discuss is from 2018. So it still holds. uh, But you made kind of the comment that said, there's been a lot of shootings since then. And so yeah, I think unfortunately there's been a lot of shootings uh, since then. Hopefully we're not past the sadness and lamenting part of the of the Dayton story and the El Paso story now that it's a you know a week, two weeks old. Um but uh, there is the the also the step of like what's going on in our culture? Is it all political? Is it all gun control? Is it all mental illness? What is causing uh what especially seems to be young men uh, to go and do things that, you know, a generation ago didn't seem to be happening. And, and so this article that we picked up from Pathos was written uh, soon after Parkland. And so that's kind of where this falls into is February 19th, 2018. So that's a week after uh, the shootings at Parkland. And uh, it begins this way. Actor and comedian Michael Ian Black began a series of tweets in this way. Deeper even than the gun problem is this boys are broken. Uh, and so it goes on to say uh, that of the CNN did a list of the 27 deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. And only one of those shooters was raised by his biological chi- uh, biological father since childhood. And so the writer goes on to say, indeed, there is a direct correlation between boys who grow up with absent fathers and boys who drop out of school, who drink, who do drugs, who become delinquent and who wind up in prison. And yes, who kill their classmates. This problem can't be solved by any policy or any sort of gun control. Not saying that's not part of the issue. It is time to have a serious discussion about the degradation of our cultural norms. And so. This writer and this article is saying, hey, if we're being really honest about it, uh, a lot of what's playing into 
um, a, a common thread in those committing mass shootings is the absence of a biological father. And I've not heard that. Uh, I've not really heard that bantered about and uh, found it to be really interesting. Wondering what you think. So I'm looking at Snopes.com right now. Uh-oh. Are, you gonna, are we going to back this out? Mm, maybe. I'm not going to okay. read the whole thing. It's more complicated than that, though. And the Pathos article links to a Fox News interview, links to an article on The Federalist, links to some, it looks like, fairly outdated data. Uh, and then it starts listing a number of a number of mass shooters uh, who had both a mother and a father. Um, so at the very least, it seems like data hasn't come to any... It might be overstating it. Might be overstating it, uh, but I still am interested in talking about it because it feels like an issue nonetheless. So, so maybe, yeah, maybe the 26 out of 27 is a little inflammatory, a little clickbaity, um, which I guess is just the nature of the beast, but... I do I do still think that there is some correlation, and I, I wish I had more time to take a deep dive into the research here, but um, I'm curious just as someone, because this isn't, I was just having a conversation yesterday actually about my first experience of a Promise Keepers event. Did you ever go to Promise Keepers? Twice. You did? Yep. So I remember going with my dad and a couple of men from our church, and I still to this day, that was one of the most moving yeah. encounters for me, and I did not like the music. And I wasn't super compelled by the speakers. I was 13 or 14. So yep. it wasn't like my kind of event at all. Yeah. But something about seeing my father and seeing the men from our church own to their mistakes to cry and pray and confess and repent together mm. was so transformative. And it probably, it probably is more now even than it was when I was 13 becoming a father myself. I'm like remembering now all these things of like the kind of dad that I want to be mm. and the kind of husband that I want to be. And I realize more and more how grateful and blessed I am to have that. Not perfect parents, not by any stretch. And we've had our share of battles and disagreements and all sorts of things, but realizing like I didn't, I didn't do anything during that to earn a a dad that has, has stuck it out, has been, uh, has persevered, who has like taught us really important life lessons, who has modeled all sorts of really beautiful Christ-like qualities. And I think, man, I, how do you how do you navigate then looking at data, even if it's outdated? Let's let's just say, let's say that number is half. What if it's half of the twenty seven yep. deadliest came yep. from fatherless homes? That still is worth talking about, isn't it? Yeah. So absolutely. what do you do? What do you do with that then? I think for a, you know, culturally, I think there's an issue with with fatherlessness. But I do think even you and I as dads, sometimes we can buy into the the, thing, the thought that, ah, yeah, I'm a dad. It matters. But does it matter that much? And like, right. oh, wait a minute. No, this is a really big deal. It's a wonderful story. Tell. I went to Fa- Promise Keepers twice um, in a couple year span, I think while I was in college mm. uh, with my dad and the men from our church, the same way you did. And for me, it was also a very uh, a formative time for yeah, me because right. There is something to being to learning something about other men uh, being around them. And this I was listening to a podcast uh, on our trip here over the last couple of days uh, and they were talking about I think it was you ever listen to Serial, the Serial podcast? Oh, yeah, I think it was season three where they were just kind of in the courtroom in uh, Cleveland doing various different stories. And uh, they got into this in that talking about the draw to gangs by by they were talking to the literally guys in prison who were in gangs and they 
this is not new news, but but the draw to it was I don't have a dad. I don't have this stability at home. This gave me stability. This was mm. my family. And mm. you're from the outside. You're like, it was your family. They are the ones that got you in prison. Like you're you're like robbing stores and, and shooting and doing this to be initiated. And like that's my mind can't get around it. But there to hear them be like that. I didn't have a family. These guys were my family. Absolutely. All of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, this isn't about like I want to be a tough guy in that's a gang. Right. This that's is right. like I want love. I want to it's be about loved. belonging. Right. Hundred percent. I want to belong, and so uh, the the I think we're we have to be honest about uh, when dads are absent, when dads aren't there, whether they're absent completely. Like I'm, I'm not even in the picture, or some of us are absent while living in the home. Yeah, that's <laughs> very true. Going, uh, you know, oh, it doesn't really matter. I think we're seeing over the generations that it really, really does matter a lot. So how do how do you, as a church and a church leader, engage? men specifically because i there's a fine line between engagement and pandering right like we've definitely seen some like male-centered events where like we got flamethrowers yes. and motorcycles <laughs> and steak and i'm like well, i like all those things that feels a little reductionistic though like yeah. how do you as a church at the local level and a sustainable level engage the, the men in your church yeah it's a it's a good question i'm i'm not sure that i'm doing it well at the moment so i would say uh it's funny. The first time at my old church, when I I was given the men's ministry lead this, oh, I, right, me, right. I immediately taught through why men hate going to church. <laughs> you did so. You you reversed in this then, and it's like you said. Now looking back, you're like, oh, that's painful. It's not mm-hmm. about putting deer heads on the wall. Like oh, right. we're more than that, right? Uh, like I literally remember them. Like be, they would be like male centered services where like art came down swords went up <laughs> like oh wow all right we didn't do that but like in the book <laughs> yeah it yeah, was yeah. talking about doing that <laughs> well then it also discredits the guy that also like really likes poetry yeah, or yeah. fine art like what about that guy yeah but i do think it is i don't think i've talked about the importance of fatherhood and the importance of the role that dads play like are we even having have indirectly though by sure. your own stories don't oh, you think no doubt no doubt but is that the message we're giving to dads? Is that, um, you know, what are we telling them? I don't know. What do you guys do? What do you, or what have you seen done well? I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot at your church, but no, what do you okay. think the answer is? We we have a thriving men's ministry, and that's a credit to a couple of men, Mike Charta and Wayne Kramemeyer, and a bunch of okay. great leaders that meet and co- have committed to meeting on Saturday mornings at a really inconvenient time, like 7.30 on a Saturday. Interesting. And they just continue to grow, and they get more and more leaders, and they have more and more apprentice leaders. And pe- Like, I, Brian, it's incredible. Like, it's amazing. Mm. I'll be speaking there at their event in September, and they do such a good job of kind of the stuff we've been talking about this whole show about space for doubt, space for dialogue, space for What are they doing disbelief. on those Saturday mornings? So a lot of times it's like an upfront lesson, and then they put – you know, a lot of their eggs in the small group basket. So mm-hmm. it's around tables usually. So someone could come in brand new, just pick a random table and then they're there for what's being taught. So it's not like, Oh, you didn't do the homework. Oh, sorry. You're kind of on the outs. They were all learning together. And then we spend the bulk of the time, you know, eight men around a table and just talking about it. And yep. uh, they just have continued to show up they've continued to be faithful, continue to pour into leaders to call up new leaders to start new groups. And um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's been remarkable to watch. That's fascinating. I think it's something to wrestle with. Like if fatherlessness or fatherless uh, kids, is this big an issue in our culture? Whatever the statistics are, uh, what is the church doing to either help or hurt the problem? Uh, I think we need to wrestle with that uh, as a culture, but also 
uh, as churches. It's good. It's a good spot to start. So you're listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Before we jump into our next topic about uh, parenting and kids and the craziness of the many hours our kids have to deal with, let me tell you about something exciting going on. Uh, date night needs to be more than just dinner and a movie. Mm. The free <laughs> agreed over there. <laughs> yeah, agreed. All right. There's a free ebook. The free ebook <laughs> Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley is filled with 52 great date night suggestions for one, you and your spouse. One for each week. Or 52 in a row for those of you overachievers. Well, yeah, overachievers indeed. <laughs> My goodness. You can download this Focus on the Family resource now at 1160hope.com keyword marriage. You'll also have a chance to take a Focus on Marriage assessment and enter to win an all-inclusive retreat. Download your free ebook now at 1160hope.com keyword marriage. That's 1160hope.com keyword marriage. I feel like you and I, we should, we should take these 52 and, and do each of them and decide which ones we like the most. Not together with our wives. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Golly, thank you for saying that. And we should challenge our producer, John, to find a girl to do these with. Oh, I like this challenge. I think, I think we're on to something. John, thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds about That's right. how we know we've come up with a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's our criteria. Oh, poor John. So, John, we need you to go to 1160hope.com, keyword marriage. Well, no, that might get uncomfortable. <laughs> I guess, I, I guess I, I, I'm going to have to hear these like every day. So, date night know. ideas. <laughs> it's going to get to me. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. That it's keyword marriage for John might be a problem here. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to check that one out. All right. Free ebook, 52 great night, great date night ideas. All right. We'll give him a try. Uh, so you can do that there at Focus on the Family. Well, a thousand hours outside dot com uh, came up with an article called Let's Stop Stealing Time from Children. And uh, it is uh, convicting, to say the least, as a dad who's got kids who are kind of in the midst of real busy lives already. Uh, so thoughts, uh, what's the background of this article? Well, is it about kids spending time outside? Cause I just make my kids sleep outside. So that, <laughs> Give them a 10, I, I'm I, yeah, we're killing it. Uh, all right. So I'm going to skip kind of the, uh, the narrative intro. I do yep. encourage you to read it though, but here, here's where it really picks up steam. Okay. So John Taylor Gatto was a public school teacher in New York for nearly 30 years and a world renowned speaker for another 20 years afterwards, giving over 1500 speeches in nine countries. He was named the New York State Teacher of the Year twice wow. and has written some prolific literature. Gatto was a huge advocate that at the right age and stage and in the right environment, children could learn phenomenal amounts in short periods of time. After spending thousands of hours with children over the course of three decades and after untold amounts of research, Gatto concluded that it only takes about 50 contact hours to transmit basic literacy and math skills well enough that kids can be self-teachers from then on. Hmm. 50 hours. Let that sink in. That's just over one week of school. Today, children spend between twelve and 15,000 seat hours within the four walls of a classroom. This is such an interesting article. There That's are many wild. other brilliant men and women who advocate for less formal learning and more hands-on experience. There are also those who advise that later is better when it comes to the type of academic work that has crept its way into the kindergarten classrooms. Children need time to develop their sense of self and their own self-knowledge. How can we stop stealing time from children? 
Here are five ways, which as someone who's married to a teacher who I think is the best teacher I've ever, like mm. she just thinks through these things so brilliantly and all, is always talking about, uh, particularly when it comes to our kids now, experiential learning yeah. and how we give space for all of these things that they're talking about. I'm, I'm really, really interested in these five. So why don't, why don't you uh, kick us off? Cheer real fast before the five. Underneath okay. it, it says, do you want to know what kids want to do? They want to dawdle. They want to explore. They want to sniff the dandelions and well, yes, squish right. mud between their toes. They want to laugh and they want to run. Like we know this about kids, but then school's about to start. And, and it's only getting more and more and more. And uh, this is an issue, man. This is an issue. Here's five things he says how you can stop stealing time from children number one schedule fewer extracurricular activities when kids go straight from the classroom to extracurriculars even extracurriculars they enjoy they miss out on the expanses of time they need to learn who they are Hmm. ensure that your child has afternoon and evening time several days of the week in order to play and direct their own learning i love that number two i'm a big fan of this one yeah advocate for more recess and less homework be a voice at your school. Bring in the research. Talk to the administrators. Take a group of parents with you. Movement is the precursor to all learning. and It is vital that children get a chance to move and to play throughout the day. Can I just say, by the way, as someone who was homeschooled, I feel like my parents crushed it here. Yeah. They were always driving the significance of like, we'd spend time with grandpa and we just like work on repairing engines right. or learn how different tools worked. Like that was all, it felt like play, but of course we're like learning and we're getting time outside. It was awesome. Yeah. Number three. Skip all homework, at least through elementary school. Whoa. Whoa. Or it says forge it or give the answers. Seven hours a day is enough. Remember at that at the right developmental stage, 50 hours will get a child to enough functional literacy to become a self-teacher. 35 hours a week in a classroom is more than enough time for seat work. Leave afternoons, evenings and weekends for playtime and family time. Wow. That's fascinating. Now, having kids in elementary school, I'm actually surprised by how little homework they get. I think really? I prepared myself, and maybe it's unique to our school, huh. although we've never been told it is. Uh, I was always preparing myself that my kids would have hours upon hours of homework, and that comes in high school. Uh, but I've but this that's uh, that's an important one. Number four. Number is that? Are you teeing it up to me for you? <laughs> I am for you. Wait on formal education or choose from play-based options like Forest Schools, Waldorf, or Montessori. See what is in your area. You might consider skipping preschool altogether. In some states, formal education isn't required until age six. Read books like Better Late Than Early by Raymond and Dorothy Moore and make sure your decisions about school are well-informed and well-researched. Number five, buck the system in whatever ways you deem necessary and trust that your children will learn anyway. Find ways in which your child can learn through play. Read these books and be confident that kids are innately driven to learn. If we allow them the time and space to explore their world, they will learn the most extraordinary things. Gosh, I want to believe this so bad. This is where it really gets hard because I read these and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, my kids are just a little older. Like you're kind of entering into this. My kids are kind of not coming out of it. They're still young. But sure. A lot of this is when they're in their really formative years. But I would say this. That last one takes a lot of guts. Uh, Buck the system, it says. (laughs) Like the system's there for a reason. Right. So much of what they say will require you to go against what is not just the cultural stream, but is like a heavy stream. Like it's a fast moving stream. Right. And you have those doubts. Like, are my kids missing out? Are my kids this? Are my kids that are we are we going to be the weird family? Are we going to be 
Um, do I have the research that I'm right about this? All of these things, this what they describe here, while I believe in it and, and feels right, is also, um, to use a very Christianese term, very countercultural. Like you're going to need yeah. to really stand up against uh, a lot of not dark forces, just forces. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the ways that culture is moving and you've really got to kind of have a self-confidence and a unity in your marriage to go, nope, nope we're going to do this for our family. Well, and it's an elevation of time too, which I appreciate because the yeah. article begins with this quote from Michael Lennon. It says, life holds one great but quite commonplace mystery, though shared by each of us and known to all, seldom rates a second thought. That mystery, which most of us take for granted and never think twice about, is time and the mm. article I did. I skipped all this at the beginning, but it says uh, the thing is compulsory education is relatively new. Just over a hundred years ago, the only compulsory education law was that all children had to complete elementary school. Things have changed dramatically in just 10 decades. We've gone from five years of compulsory education to 13. And now we mandate such subjects as algebra two and trigonometry in order to graduate. Do we really know <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt that these are the things all children need to succeed in life, especially given the incredible trade off in time? The things we call, quote, best practice are at best a guess. I know that for certain because best practices, as they pertain to childhood development, change all the time. Mm -hmm. The curriculums and the sequences change often with the winds of political change, which mm. I think now I'm like panicked. But <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> but I really yes. I appreciate the sentiment, though. Like I just think through these things and sometimes the system gets it wrong. And how are we actually creating space for play and time? And like we just got a membership at the uh, DuPage Children's Museum. Uh, I love and I'm like, let's just go there every day. Love like it. my boy lights up with yes. all the different opportunities. And I don't know. This is definitely food. Good food for thought. I drove by the DuPage Children's Museum with my uh high schooler the other day and we reminisced about when she was little and her and I would go there all the time. And it's just, amazing, man. I love same two page children's museum or we get an, we get a membership to the Arboretum every year Do you? just to have be outside and just go and I go love do it. fun stuff. So, uh, we'll put this article on Facebook. Love for you to wrestle with it because it's one of these things where we go, well, that's right. And then it's hard to put this kind of things into practice. So we'd love to hear from you. Well, Speaking of wasting time, we're gonna do. We're gonna end our show the same way we always do, uh, with crazy things that our producers have found on the internet. That's what we're gonna do next year on the Common Good AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and we. Close each and every show with just some internet insanity. Things that our producers, uh, Keith Conrad and John, our, nope. our new full-time producer, have found online. Does he not get a last name? I told you when you were in here, I said I'm only going to refer to him as Producer John. Producer John. Oh, <laughs> PJ. <laughs> Little PJ. Little PJ. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. Just Producer John. So. So you didn't have your guest host to really smart people do kickers, did you? I like that each time you've spoken of them, you've added the really smart people. Yeah, was this below them or you didn't want to? You don't no, no, no. have to I, do honest, it? Honestly, what it was is they just had so much good stuff to say. That's I was like, true. I just want to give you the full hour just to Whereas talk. We, us, we're just limping to the finish sanity. I'm out of words. <laughs> These are just crazy stories found on the Internet. We don't we have not seen them till we read them. So we're right there with you. Why don't you start? I will start Alabama. Alabama woman fought off suspect using hot grease. Nice. Wow. Not the movie. Uh, Decatur police. <laughs> Is hot grease a movie? <laughs> <laughs> 
I would not Google that. Um, <laughs> Decatur police say a woman there used hot grease to fight off a man charged with burglary and domestic violence. Decatur police say officers responded to a home because of a domestic dispute. When they got there, they found, oh my goodness, Lauren Drake Macklin suffering from burns to his face. Holy cow. Police say Macklin had entered the victim's home armed with a gun and that the victim used a pot full of hot grease to defend herself. Macklin was taken to the hospital on August 1st and then arrested and booked into the Morgan County Jail August 2nd. His bond is set at $300,000. Have you got any grease? Yes. Yes, we do. Go and grease me up, woman. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> that was pretty on the nose. Number two, Florida. Nearly, do you feel like, like he's, Keith is he lining these you up Florida, so I yeah. get Florida? A hundred percent. Do you know Keith? Have you met Keith? Uh, yeah, good point. He's one hundred percent doing that. So now maybe we reverse the order next time and we'll just, just mess, mess with them. With them. Yeah. Nearly toothless Florida woman bites intruder. He gets arrested. Well, okay, so why include the nearly toothless part? Because it's funny. <laughs> Alice Coleman tells WSVN she woke up early Monday morning to a fire alarm going off. The 61-year-old woman says that's when she opened the door. A man pushed his way inside. She says he kept calling her mama and telling her everything would be okay. Coleman huh. says that with the little teeth I got, I bit him. Coleman says she ran out of the apartment and he locked himself inside. She called police from the neighbor's house. They arrested Fitzroy Morton on three felony charges. Oh, no. <laughs> oh that was John. I thought that was the rest I'm of the drop. Sorry, sorry. I was really confused. Uh, my favorite part of today is hearing Brian Fromm say, Fitzroy Morton. No, with the little teeth I got, I bit him. That just made, I don't the know what's wrong with me. came out of him there. Yeah. It was... yeah. <laughs> it's really enjoyable. All right, this one's out of Illinois. Burglar breaks into home and eats ribs out of fridge. Uh, ribs are delicious. They are good. Uh, an unknown person broke into a woman's home and ate cooked ribs out of her fridge. According to a Peoria police report, the unknown diner broke into the woman's home about 6 p.m. Sunday. The woman told police she believes someone entered her home through her bedroom window because it was found open and a ladder was found leaning up against the side of the building. The Good woman detective work there. <laughs> you know what? I think it might have been through that there window. The woman noticed that a basket of her clothes appeared to be rummaged through, but the only thing that was missing was a plate of ribs that were in her fridge, the report stated. She suspects it was her ex-boyfriend, but there's no evidence linking any suspect to the crime. Ribs. You know what I, mean? I had ribs for lunch. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird to find out she's like, actually... I just had too much to drink, and I ate the ribs, and I forgot, and then I was doing laundry. And I put a ladder there. And I put a ladder there. <laughs> yeah. It was a wild night. Now, we have confirmation to our thing about Keith planning these, because I'm going back to Florida. Yeah, you are. Florida boy calls 911 to order pizza, gets lesson and a pie. Huh. A Florida boy who called 911 to report he was hungry and wanted a pizza got a lesson in proper emergency call et- etiquette, but he also got a pie. The Sanford Police Department said in a Facebook post that the hungry grade schooler called 911 last Friday. Three officers responded to the home in suburban Orlando for a well-being check. They met with the boy and his older sister, who told them they were fine and that her brother had used the phone without her knowledge. The officers explained that the 911 system is only for emergencies. (laughs) Then they went to Pizza Hut and brought a large (laughs) pizza back to the house. Uh, No, you got the wrong number. This is 912. I kind of like that story. Like, I cool. All right, we'll be back with the pie. We'll get it. All right, last but not least, Colorado. Bear breaks into house, leaves through a wall like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> a black bear broke into a Colorado house over the weekend and left by breaking through a wall like the Kool-Aid man. Estes Park Police says the break-in occurred Friday night and that the animal was likely attracted to trash. Aren't we all? A Facebook post by the police department said, upon officer's arrival, uh, said bear forcibly breached a hole 
in the wall like the Kool-Aid man and made his escape. The Denver Post reports no one was injured. And he guesses. No. Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would not have guessed that. Again, my back is to him. <laughs> you don't know who's talking. So I, with the drop of somebody saying, any guesses? <laughs> it's not funny. Anything to do <laughs> Was that a was that the Kool Aid Man? Yeah, apparently. Oh, I would have found a better one. We didn't get the actual. Ooh, yeah, it was in there, (laughs) which is surprisingly close to the Macho Man Randy Savage. I was just going to say, is that snap into a Slim Jim? The same, yeah. They just hit all the spots. Listen again. There it is. Oh, there it is. My bad. Man. Macho Man Randy Savage went uh, years ago to my daughter's high school, was the best baseball player in the, that school's no, history. No, that's not a real story. That is 100% <laughs> the truth. Things you learn here on The Common Good. Well, we're glad that you joined us today on this Monday afternoon. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.